Right now in America, one in 10 people are currently in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. And of those, some 50 to 90% will relapse at some point in their lives. Because of the power of addiction, many of them may never regain their recovery. Hi, I'm Ron Chapman. I'm an alcoholic with nearly three decades of sustained sobriety. If there's one thing I know about substance abuse recovery, it's that recovery is always a work in progress. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Recovery isn't just about learning how to not use. It's about the willingness to tackle the underlying issues that trigger using in the first place. Welcome to Progressive Recovery, people sharing stories from their daily fight for sobriety. I struggle to describe Julia. Probably that's because there's a mischievous glint in her eyes. Probably it is also because she seems so young to me. And of course, she's not very old. She's 31. She's a product of a small southern town. She's a recovering alcoholic. Sometimes I think she's almost pixie-ish, if that helps you imagine the dimples on her cheeks. The strange part is, when you looked at her with that descriptor, or if you saw her in person, you would never guess the depths of her story in recovery. Julia, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I come from a small southern town. And the first thing that I'd like to point out is that I knew from an early age that I had to be pleasing to others. So I would say from as early as five years old, it became apparent to me that I must be in the, pro in the approval of others to survive. Say, say more about that. To survive, that seems pretty high stakes. For me, it seems to go back to, as I was saying, very far um, into childhood. And I think that that um, goes back to mom. So the things that I've discovered in working the steps and, and working inventory at a deeper level, I've seen that if mom, if I wasn't okay with mom, if I wasn't in mom's good graces, if I didn't please her and do what she wanted, I would die. So if mom doesn't take care of me, if mom withholds love or withholds any kind of affection, I will not be okay. And I will therefore die. And so that has continued to translate in my life since that time. Um, so that is a, is a story that I have played out over and over and over again um, in the approval seeking, in the pleasing of others. Because if I don't please them, so I'm, a, I'm an eight-year-old kid, and the first, I remember the first lie that I ever told. So granddaddy comes to me and says, help me move this wood. So he had just chopped a tree, and he was, he was moving the firewood to the, to the garage. And I remember bold-faced lying to him, saying, no, I can't. Mom said I can't get my outfit messed up. Um, and that, that is, is an example for me of um, I felt so awful and so guilty and so wretched for lying to him um, and being in, the, in his disapproval. Because I said no to him, that was not okay. That sounds deeply conflicted for a little kid. Yes, 
especially for a six-year-old, eight-year-old. I know that I was younger than Tim. So is that the kind of conflictedness you lived with? My entire life. Um, Julia must do what is necessary to gain the approval of others at, at whatever cost that may be. So let's be clear, though. Nobody ever said that to you, did they? Not that I recall. So it was your experience. That was my experience. Hmm. Um, the line that comes to mind to me from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, from the literature that I'm familiar with, is fancied or real. It doesn't matter whether the threat is imagined or real. It's real to me, and I must therefore examine it to determine what the actual cause of my disturbance is. So you're a little kid living at the heart of conflict in your family and community setting. Mm -hmm. What happens? Yeah, so early on I learned just Julia was not okay. Julia must do something else, be something else, um, be a, a certain way for other people to accept and approve of me. So I already have that conditioning from, from that early of an age. And around the age of 15, I was 15 when I, when I came out. Came um, out. As a lesbian. Um, I, it became apparent to me a couple of years previously, but I couldn't talk about it yet. Um, when I did come out at 15, to put it nicely, it was not received well in this small southern town. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. By, by family or friends. Yeah. Um, so more disapproval. So more disapproval. So my deepest fear, which was people are going to disapprove of me and I will therefore be cast out and die. Um, all of that came true, minus the death, obviously. Um, so my deepest fear that was already ingrained in me came to life when I came out at 15. And um, when I think about my 15-year-old self um, and what that felt like, it continues to stir up emotions in me <clears throat> 16 years later. Um, people, when I say that it wasn't received well, you know, it varied anywhere from people trying to save me, to fix me, to change me. So it's, I'm, so these, these beliefs that I already had are being validated um, by this thing that is as natural to me as breathing. It's just, it's just me. It's just a part of me. And this is not okay with these people based on their their belief system. Um, so that that event sort of sealed the deal for me um, that Julia was not okay as Julia was. And mm. therefore, Julia needs some relief. Relief? From those feelings, okay. which I found very shortly thereafter in the form of, of alcohol and drugs. At 15? At 15. It, it actually took a couple of years for me, so I started drinking and using around the age of 17. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you, in those couple of years, from coming out to finding drugs and alcohol as the solution to my problem, was probably the darkest time of my life, including right before I, I got sober. Mm. Um, th those couple of years were the hard, because I had no relief. Mm. Um probably the closest, the time where I was the closest to suicide. Mm -hmm. how, how bad did the drinking get? 
pretty much went from zero to a hundred right off the bat. Um, as soon as I found the relief that alcohol gave me, I was off to the races, as they say. It was, I wanted to get as much as I could get, as often as I could get it. Um, and that was it. I mean, that was drinking became my life right away. Um, I went to college, essentially flunked out of college very shortly, um, in, in short order. And drinking became the most important thing to me. It was, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything without either already being drunk or if there was going to be, you know, alcohol at the place. So I didn't eat at restaurants that didn't serve alcohol, for instance, mm -hmm. um, because of the turmoil that lived inside of me. Mm -hmm. um, Did people around you know from your behavior that this was what alcohol was doing to you? Was it, was it overt? Was it obvious? Or was this just all an internal destructive process? You know, it's hard to answer that question. I would say probably it was more of an internal situation um, because I am one of those people that, and even, you know, going back to growing up on the outside, it appeared that all things were normal. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I attended school regularly. I did well in school. I played sports. I was a member of, you know, different groups and clubs and organizations. Um, and, and when I was drinking, I still went to work most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time. <laughs> I still attended some functions, some gatherings, although the, those kind of were less and less towards the end. But I think that that would, uh, is an indicator that it was internal. So I got to ask the question. You're 31 now. You're eight years sober. That means you got sober at 23. Correct. And anybody listening is going to say, oh, come on. How do you hit bottom at 23? <sighs> is there a short answer to that? I just did. <laughs> I just went down fast. Went down fast. Yeah. Um, drinking took me to... Drinking at first was the solution. And then very quickly became an unmanageable part of my life. Hmm. So it became obvious to me fairly quickly that I, number one, couldn't stop. Um, and that my life was unmanageable. And the alcohol, I was pretty sure that alcohol was part of that problem. Um, but it's, it's true to say that I went down hard and fast. Um, because if I'm putting as much substance as I can in my body to not feel, then it would make sense that my decline would be rapid. Um, mm. and, and, you know, the fact that I got sober at 23, I feel really lucky that that's my experience. Um, and I hear people say, I wish that I would have gotten sober at a younger age. And it's like... You know, we don't get sober until we get sober. We don't get it until we get it. And I just happen to be 23. Um, that's just my story. So you get sober, get in this AA. And what we wanted to talk especially about was this whole idea of, of, of taking inventory and sharing that inventory with another human being. What the recovery programs call step four and step five. Take a personal inventory, share a personal inventory with another human being, the God of your understanding. So what was your experience of this truth-telling, I like to call it, about, about yourself in this, this inventory? Yeah, and I just want to give a little bit of background on that, you know, kind of more of my whole, my whole story of experience with inventory, with steps four and five. 
and whenever I first got sober, I did immediately get um, get involved in 12-step recovery, work with a sponsor, work the steps, go to meetings. Um, I took most of the suggestions that were given to me. Um, and I did the absolute best that I could at the time, taking an inventory. At the time, um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me what my part was. I knew that I had... My a, part. Okay, stop okay. right there. Yeah. My part. What's my part? That's That sounds like that sounds like AA geek speak. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it is an important piece of information, so I'm glad you asked. What I initially understood my part to be was something that I had done that was bad or wrong or immoral or um, shitty or bitchy or judgy or um, some kind of action that I took or word that I said that was bad. Hmm. Um and, and I clarify that, that that's what I understood that, you know, to begin with, because that's not how I understand it today. Um, and the reason that it didn't make sense to me in the beginning was that nine times out of ten, I'm not an asshole. So now I have the capacity to be, um, to be a jerk and, and to be, you know, um, a typical asshole, and I have done that. But most of the time, 90% of the time, I'm going to be nicer to you to get what I want. Because that, so, that would get approval, which is right, your, that's exactly. your gig, right? We'll exactly. do whatever I got to do to get your approval. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the spectrum of a demanding personality, which would be more of the asshole type, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> it communicates well. So demanding. Um, the other end of the spectrum being... Um, what I would call gracious, um, which to me translates into being nicer to you to get what I want instead of being meaner to you. The classic people pleaser. Right. The classic yeah. people pleaser. That's yeah. a perfect way to say it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I didn't understand my part because that was my operating system. That was my MO to get through life. And then all I heard people talk about was all of the shitty things that they had done. And that was not your story. That was not my story. So how did you do an inventory at that point? I mean, if you, if you can't see that you're doing anything quote-unquote wrong, I mean, what is there to inventory? You know, the thing that comes to mind is, I almost just made some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like an honest and thorough inventory. No, but it was like I heard all these people saying all these, you know, quote-unquote bad things that they had done, and yeah. so it was almost like I had to like, I had to match that yeah. to be one of them. <laughs> oh, once again, you could you could play along to get approval. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's another manifestation of that. Yeah. Um, so that people in AA will approve of me and accept me and, and I will not, be a and not cast you out. And I will be a star AA student. Got it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, well, probably more accurately, fortunately, that was not a working solution for me. Um in continuing to stay, to stay sober, there came a point where I had to learn to tell the truth regardless of what that looked like. Um, and there was, a, there was a point for me, it was around five years sober, where it was, as, as people say, it was grow or go. Mm. So either I was going to grow in recovery or I was going to go, meaning I would drink or kill myself or... Um, 
you know, something something along those lines. So you were doing the deal, but it wasn't working. It wasn't getting at what you needed to get at. Yes. Right? Is that what I'm hearing? That's accurate. Okay. That's accurate. And so um, when that happened, um, when I finally found the ability and the capacity to be honest and tell, tell the truth, um, I had a couple of people in my life who, who were able to sort of point me in that direction, which is which is a pretty cool thing to have had, but what became my sort of basis for recovery is step four and five. That's how I started to get at the things that I couldn't previously get at. So so, so what's the kind of stuff you were getting at? What's different at the, from this made-up asshole behavior? Right. So at the time, I remember the first inventory that I did based on this different outlook um, was about not being able to find a parking spot. Really? Hmm. Yep. Okay, okay, tell the story. Okay. Like, <laughs> listeners are going like, okay, like, parking spot, really? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I was in a parking lot at a coffee shop on my lunch break during the work week, and I couldn't find a parking spot. And I was incredibly frustrated and upset, so much so, like, the situation did not match the feeling. So oh, so intellectually, yeah. I get it. No big deal. I can't find a parking spot. I can get to coffee some other time. No big deal intellectually. But in that moment, I was furious mm. that these people, these people did not leave me a parking spot. So they had taken all of the parking spots. Um, so I couldn't park <laughs> <laughs> to get coffee on my lunch break. That I desperately needed. Mm. Sounds stressful. So, <laughs> and I kind of I, I point to that, um, and it and it is um, it is funny now. Um, at the time, it was not funny, and and since that time, I have been able I've had access to power to do deeper levels of inventory, but that absolutely counts. So, so before we go to the deeper level, what was it you saw that day with the parking? What, what was different? Because previously you would have just said, well, I was just being a jerk. Right. But something was different that day. What did you see? What happened? How did you get to something different about understanding my part as you described it? Yeah, and the first thing that comes to mind is I was able to see my part. But how that happened, um, I, would, I mean, that's nothing short of a miracle to be able to see that it wasn't the people in the parking lot that was the problem. It wasn't even not being able to find a parking spot or not get coffee that was the problem. It was my belief that I was dependent upon this certain set of circumstances to be okay. Hmm. So I had some kind of awareness that fell upon me that I did not create. Um, where I could see more of the truth. Hmm. And I had more of an understanding of what the problem was. So this brings me back to that line that I, that I like to say that the problem is not the problem. Hmm. Okay, you're going to have to say a little bit more about that. The problem so, is not the problem. Yeah. And so, use, use the parking, use yeah, the parking so, example. Yeah. Um, the people in the parking lot, the people taking my parking space were not the problem. Not being able to get the coffee was not the problem. Um, the parking lot itself was not the problem. The problem is inside of me. The problem is 
my belief that I must have this certain thing to be okay. Almost like an expectation or... Sure. Yeah. And then it doesn't line up right. Right. And, and then things don't... flip out. And then things don't go the way that I want them to go. And I flip out. And it doesn't make any logical sense. But that's my experience. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I can hear and see the stress as you even describe it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, so that was a breakthrough moment that took you more deeply into this, you know, taking inventory. And, and so presumably you shared you shared that with somebody. I presumably. did. Okay. I did. I, I did um, share that in a fifth step setting with, with a couple of people. Um, and I think, and maybe this is what you were pointing me to earlier, but the difference maker was seeing column four, which is my part. Column four in an inventory? In a step four inventory. Okay, so what's column one through three? Then? Okay, great question. So column one is the person or situation at which I am have feelings around. Frustrated at, angry at. Like so in that's this column case, one. the people taking up the parking spot. Yes, the people okay. taking up the, so the people. The column two would be I could not find a parking space. So the column two is exactly what happened. Okay. As factual as I can recount it. The column three is my feelings around it. And I explore that both emotionally and physically. Okay. Um, so at the time, just to make a long story short, I was angry mm -hmm. or frustrated. Okay. So when we get to column four. My part. My part, which is what I previously didn't understand. And it was sometime around that time when it hit me that my part, column four, is the old idea. Old idea. That's new language. Old, more. old idea um, is the belief that I hold and have presumably held for quite some time that causes the disturbance in the first place. So in this case, the old idea might have been... Julia is not okay if Julia doesn't get a relaxing lunch break. Okay. Julie is not okay, and we'll, I'll even say specifically to return to work if Julie doesn't get a relaxing oh, coffee lunch break. if you're late, et cetera, they're going to disapprove of you, the whole right. cascade of events again. Yes. Okay. And that is definitely more of a, um, you know, a surface level inventory, and I've since dug deeper, but but it's, it's absolutely accurate and okay. fits. Well, let's go there then, because I'm sure listeners are wondering, okay, so, you know, so getting sober isn't about not finding parking spots. So you have some examples that take us more deeply into this understanding of a, of a, a progressive inventory? Yeah. Um, so since we were talking about, since I was talking about coming out at 15 in this rural southern community um, that is very religious... And I'll just say it's very Christian, um, very conservative. That was something that I continued to struggle with. Um, there was a lot of shame around that for me, a lot of shame around being gay, and a lot of shame around people disapproving of me. And in, in fact, it's probably most accurate to say that my shame was around the disapproval. My shame wasn't even actually around being gay. Hmm. That's a fine distinction. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that has happened for me, so, so my family was included in that, um, 
disapproval of my of me being gay disapproval of me um and and my brother and I you know several a long time ago when I first came out had some had some very heated arguments around what that meant um and since getting sober and since being able to do the inventory work at a deeper level where it previously was I'm not okay if my brother doesn't approve of me. I'm not okay if my brother thinks I'm going to hell. Um, maybe he's right. I even ha you know, have had those thoughts. So after doing lots and lots of inventory around that, you know, weeks and months and <laughs> years of inventory around it, what has happened for me is through that awareness, what I would call a new idea came into being which is something like my okayness is not dependent upon what my brother thinks of my soul. <laughs> so my okayness is not dependent upon my brother's approval of me, nor is it dependent upon anyone's approval of me. But in this specific example, it was him. And um, as a result of that, that removed that blockage, that old idea, which allowed for compassion to flow forth from me to him and to other people who practice that religion who may disapprove of me. So you're like free of the need for that approval? I think freedom is the right word. That's a big deal. It is a fucking miracle. Hmm. So that happened how old were you? Just like chronologically, like 28, 29? 29. Huh, so 29 years of feeling disapproved of, and bang, yeah. bang, you finally fall into this place. Yes. So what, I, I see the emotion in you. What? It still sometimes baffles me to think about the place that I was with that specifically. In the place that I'm at today, because I'm thinking of my brother, he's in my mind, and I have nothing but compassion for him. That sounds like love. Sounds like it. Does he approve of you yet? No. <laughs> That's why it's a miracle. No. Yes, it mm. is. It absolutely is. Mm. Um, and we actually recently had a had a discussion about that a few months ago, and. Um, and it was made clear to me again where he stands, and, and that would look like disapproval of me, and that is okay. But you're no longer spun out. Correct. Which if we go all the way back then, so you don't need alcohol to solve your distress. Yes, through this framework and through this um, steps four and five inventory and sharing with another person, change happens. So that's why the inventory is so important. It relieves the stress. It does. And, and, and especially, you know, doing the inventory as many times as it need be done and sharing that with someone else, continuing to share it with someone else, even when I get sick of talking about it. Um, my experience has been through that, the blockages get cleared um, and I become, I avail myself 
I'm, I'm thinking of um, Bill Wilson, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote an article called Emotional Sobriety. And the way that he describes it is, we get clear on the problem through awareness, through inventory, um, which, and at that time, I can avail myself to the love of God, whatever you want to call it, universe, um, the force, and I become able to truly love myself and love others. And he actually says something like, we can then 12th step ourselves into emotional sobriety. 12th step being working with others. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I know there's another example that you want to share because it's in its own way equally profound, right? We've talked about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise. And, um, yeah, so I, um, my wife and I moved in together shortly after we, shortly after we got together and, um, my wife is a cat lover and I grew up not being a cat lover. So I grew up not having that relationship with any kind of animal. Um, animals were utilitarian in my family. So I move in with my wife and all of a sudden I have four cats in the house <laughs> and they disturb my sleep and I must attend to them. I must be responsible for them. Um, they are disrupting my life. And this was shortly after moving in together that, that I became aware of this situation, but it wasn't until several years later when I could actually do the inventory work on it because I hadn't gotten that far in recovery yet. So through doing inventory after inventory after inventory, <laughs> um, what I saw was the problem was not the problem. So the cats, um, and another piece of this is, um, at times I had felt like that my wife loved the cats more than she loved me. So there's another piece of that puzzle, a pretty big piece of that puzzle. So I resented the shit out of those animals. Yeah. Um, so through awareness work, I saw that, um, the cats were not the problem and that, um, I'm, I'm at a loss for words at how to explain this. Um, one piece of that story is that I finally understood my wife's position um, and her story with the animals. So when she was when she was growing up, cats were her best friends. Cats were her go-to. Cats were her solution. Um, and so that is carried over into her adulthood. And so they're very important to her. And I heard that. I heard her say that over and over. And then finally one day I got it. It made sense. Just like when I got it that the cats weren't the problem. So my disturbance had to do with um, things not going my way. So the cat sort of can, um, can disrupt my day to day. And did. And do still <laughs> disrupt my day-to-day -day life um, and, and become an inconvenience to me in my life. And so once I saw that it wasn't actually them that was the problem, I essentially became free of the disturbance. Now, 
that's not to say that it never comes up anymore. This is one of those things for me that is a continual um, awareness work for me. Yeah. Um, but meaning, it is meaning you keep doing inventories. On correct, it. but it is profoundly different because of the understanding that fell upon me through inventory. And what is that understanding now? Both, both for your wife and for the cats, and for you presumably with your wife sure. and the cats. Um, so the understanding with my wife is that she has all this stuff. She has all a lifetime also um, that has led her to be where she's at in this situation with the cats, and has led her to feel the way that she does. So that's the understanding of where she's coming from, which is which was life changing. For me. Um, and then to see that, so it goes back to my well-being being dependent upon a certain set of circumstances to be okay. So, um, you know, and another piece of that puzzle too, I'm, I hope I'm not muddying the waters too much here, um, is a responsibility. I, I um, have used responsibility as a means um to get you to like me, to gain your approval. So if I'm responsible for these cats, I don't really want to be responsible for them, but I'm going to be responsible for them so that you approve of me. Um, when I may or may not really want to do that. Um, so the understanding is that my well-being is not dependent upon my wife's approval of me. That's the same learning with your brother in Yes. And I can see from the look on your face that that's profound. It feels like a really big deal. And as I continue to try to articulate it, there are times where, and that was one of those times where as the words are coming out of my mouth, it made so much sense to me that that's exactly what happened and what continues to happen. So in this case, the inventory brought understanding of your wife understanding of whatever it was about the cats that <laughs> they're being cats but but more importantly the understanding of how it was so deeply distressing to yourself yeah and I think that's something that you just said is isn't it is important too is that um, sometimes today I can get to that place where whoever the column one is so whoever precipitated my disturbance whoever happened to be the <laughs> Um, the, the starting person, point. Right, right. Because <laughs> it really doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. I'm going to get the lesson. Um, is that the cats, um, my coworkers, my wife, my mom, are being perfectly themselves. So they are the perfect um, embodiment of exactly what and who they are supposed to be. And I don't get to, uh, well, I won't say it that way. Um, the understanding of that um, also has come through awareness and inventory work, um, which continues to provide more and more freedom. Because not only am I not responsible for them to be any way other than they are, but they're being absolutely the perfect embodiment of themselves. And that goes for me, too. Mm. And maybe that's the most important piece. That's like radical self-acceptance. Is that Julia is being the perfect Julia. 
that would change your life. Yes. And it absolutely has. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Progressive Recovery, which is available at ProgressiveRecovery.org and on iTunes.